What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another Whiskey Web and Whatnot with myself, Robbie the Wagner, and my co-host, as always, Charles William Carpenter III. My friends call me Chuck. That's why I don't let Robbie do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fair. We have two special guests today from Wix. Uh, do you guys want to quickly introduce yourselves and uh, tell everyone a little bit about what you do? Yeah, I'm Emmy. I am a developer advocate at Wix, and I've been here for about a year and a half. Yeah, I'm Yoav from Wix. I'm with the company for, let's say, a short period of time. I hired the first backend developer for Wix 16 years ago. Oh, wow. And kind of built all of the things at Wix. Yeah, so he created my job. So thank you. <laughs> nice, nice. He's made many things for Wix. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's one or two things. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll start with a little whiskey today, as we often do. Today, we have selected the Restoration Rye from Castle and Key. It is their single barrel, also barrel proof. So it's going to be a hot one at 121.3 proof. It is aged four years in charred oak barrels, they say. The mash bill is 17% corn, 63% rye, and 20% malted barley. A uh, cool thing about this this place, it's a newer distillery, but it's actually in one of the oldest distilleries in Kentucky. It's a, the old Colonel Taylor distillery in Frankfurt. They restored it some years ago, started distilling their own stuff, I think in 2018. And here's one of their products. I'm going to do a little pop there and then I'm going to do a little pour and then we can get into it. Oh. Some ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All righty. Smells like some uh, black pepper and... Bergamot to me. Bergamot. Mm -hmm. Bergamot's a very specific descriptor. Yeah. I can feel the black pepper. There's also, there's, I feel lots of honey in some Ooh, flowers. In it. Mm -hmm. I don't have the vocabulary yet to Whoa. describe what I'm experiencing. Yeah, you just try to associate it as closely as you can yeah. to something else that is tangible to other people, yeah. but it's all kind of random. I'm trying to separate the alcohol. Yeah, <laughs> I'm getting a little like musty, mossy too. Ooh. Oh yeah, in mine, but maybe I just have some allergies. <laughs> I think it's some of that. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Oh no, <laughs> no apricot whatsoever in that. Mm, I do. I would agree. Yeah. I get, okay, so a little bit of that peppery, like black pepper, like you said, and a little bit of like banana peel, kind of. Really? Let me try that again. I kind of understand the banana peel. Right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, and then let's see here. I think the first thing is that it's super smooth. It doesn't, doesn't fight you back. And it's really nice to drink this whiskey. Nice. Yeah, for 121 proof, I actually don't think it's that painful, really. Yeah. Yeah, I'm used to a lot of burn yeah. on the way down for that kind of stuff. No burn at all. Yeah. It feels like, uh, you know, you said it's four years old. Yeah. It feels like something like 20 years old right. in terms of that. There's no burn, a lot of flavor. It is developing in the mouth, long aftertaste. I really like it. Yeah. Okay, cool. You were saying that you were uh, going down the, the rye path of things. What would you say is your favorite rye right now? Ooh, uh, there's no way I can remember the name. Okay. I think there's one from actually Douglas Lang. Mm-hmm. That is, uh, was a rye one. Yep. But that's, you know, from, that is scotch. That's not a uh, bourbon. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I have to confess, I'm more into scotch simply because I worked in a company from the UK. Oh, okay. Yes. By the way, tech company. Yes. And this is how I got into whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one does run into the other sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. so. He does, he does. Yeah, it's been about 20 years for me in tech and ah, gosh, I don't know. I've been drinking from all of those 20 years, so. Yeah. You liked whiskey beforehand, though. Yeah, that's true. I'm from Kentucky originally, yeah. so that's kind of part of it. So on the other side of the spectrum then, Emmy, what do you think? I am at the stage where I am just a couple years into, well, I turned 21 the fall before the pandemic. Okay. Mm. So my friends always had birthdays later than me. And so I never like drank outside that much. And most of my experience with alcohol has just been, will this get me drunk? <laughs> <laughs> and if so, then, okay, <laughs> that's right. Right. That's good. But yeah. Since I started work, 
And the folks at Wicks, they're all very knowledgeable about different drinks and have been trying to get me to understand a little more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think the more things you try, you kind of develop that vocabulary over time. And also like you kind of figure out what, you know, what you like. Yeah. So this will be an interesting aspect of it then because we we usually do a rating thing. Mm. Uh, It's one to eight tentacles, you know, because of the octopus (laughs) thing. (laughs) One being like terrible, never give this to me again. Eight being like, this is amazing. I want to drink this all the time. And then sort of anything in between there. So, you know, in context, you don't have to necessarily compare that to other whiskeys either. It's just like, do I enjoy having this thing and compared to, I don't know, maybe you've had Fireball, like compared to Fireball, would you rather have this or that? And then we also like tend to segment it out based on the kinds of whiskeys we've tried. So like we'll compare this to other ryes. We'll have like a bourbon or a scotch and kind of like keep those. But we're also like every week doing new whiskeys. So it's just a little easier to contextualize. But I, the scale isn't that serious anyway. (laughs) And so I just like to say, frame it however it works for you, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you're like, would I rather have this or a beer? Or is the beer a Miller Lite or a nice, you know, IPA or something? So totally arbitrary and you can kind of set it in that way. I'll kick it off just so you guys kind of know how we do it. So yeah, again, for Rise, I agree with you. I think this is extremely smooth for the proof of it. I love the presentation. I like kind of the story behind it and everything else. Albeit, I always tend to kind of like use Sagamore rye as kind of our baseline. And that's a rye that is price-wise, I think it's great. You can get a plain, like normal 90 proof Sagamore rye for like $35. Super good, super tasty. You can sip it all the time. This one I think was 70, but again, it's a a barrel proof, a single barrel of like little limited, uh, I think twice a year they released this one. And for that smoothness and stuff, I think I'm going to give it a seven. I love the presentation. I think the price was like 70. That's also on DoorDash, so it might be a little skewed. And at this proof, it's going to get me drunk, Emmy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't don't, don't ask me about how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm going to kick it to you first and then we're going to come back. All right. All right. You know, I think I would also give it about a seven. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't drink it like a juice. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's not recommended. But I do understand that that's not what alcohol is for. (laughs) And I took literally a sip and I'm warming, warming up a little bit. Granted, I am Asian. So it's always, you know, like I already have a bit of like a lower tolerance than most people, but I do feel like if I finish what I have left, which is not very much, I'm going to walk out of here looking a little redder than usual. (laughs) But compared to, you know, the basis for comparison I have is like fireball. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No. But that stays with you after you drink. It like lingers and it burns. Yeah. Yeah. It's intended to hang around for a while. So yeah. The next morning it hangs around. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, for real. But if I were to, you know, enjoy having a drink, I think I actually prefer being a lightweight and not having to drink as much. Yeah. The efficiency. There you go. It's very efficient. Yeah. And it for, what was it? 120 proof? 121 proof. 121 proof. That's not bad at all, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. I think you're lucky. I think we got you on a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you tried bad ones on oh, the yeah. podcast? Oh, yeah. Bad ones? That must be a blast. Yeah, we've had bad bad whiskeys, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, 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 like yeah. bad whiskeys. Oh, I, I was thinking of a brand like bad ones. That's bad. <laughs> That's bad branding. Oh, yeah, we've had a few that have been. Oh. But the bottle is very nice. It's very hefty. It feels luxurious. Yeah. And I will judge a book by its cover. Oh, yeah. Sometimes that's how that's true. Sometimes usually accurate. Yeah. (laughs) When you get it on DoorDash, that's just how you have to judge things. It's not like you can taste it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. You have. So for me, I have to say I'm have a little bit of debate between six and seven. Okay. Yes. Because when I taste the whiskey, I see it could have been more complex. Mm. Could have been a little more deep. So with that in mind, that would be a six. Okay. But when I factor in the age, which is just four years old, yeah. which is amazing for whiskey, for, you know, four years old to be that good, I would say it's definitely a seven. Nice. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think I would agree. And I do judge everything by how it looks. So the <laughs> bottle is nice and uh, yeah, the taste is good. I think compared to Sagamore, which is kind of our baseline, it's, uh, 
it's still pretty good. I, I would say seven, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So uniform sevens across the board. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. It's too bad we weren't in Vegas right now. Yeah. <laughs> I love the way that the battle looks like. It's really, really nice looking battle. Yeah, I think uh, they've done a great job on that. Kind of. She's got some curves. Yes, and like nice indentation. You can tell because there are certain like uh, newer distilleries where they're just buying like the generic either squat or tall bottle. Yeah. You know, and it's just like everything looks like that. It's very hard to get a custom bottle. You have to order like 500,000 at least. So you have to be committed to that bottle. Well, I haven't said this yet today, so maybe it's perhaps time, but like, yeah, like the chicken cock bottle from yesterday. <laughs> you want to see how many times you can say that? It had like kind of like a chicken wire kind of thing around the bottle. It was like, it, all, it was kind of honeycomb if you want to be classy, but like, I think it was just chicken wire. It's definitely chicken wire because of the name. Yeah. Chicken cock. Yes. Yeah. What's the name again? <laughs> <laughs> One small side here and then we'll get into hot takes, but like, uh, I saw this on Twitter or something the other day. And it's like, HBO Max has cut their name now to just Max. It's your move, Peacock. I saw that. Mm. <laughs> That's a good joke. Yeah, I thought that was pretty yeah, yeah, funny. Yeah. So I feel like it was like an official channel or something too, which make, made it even funnier. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so technology things. And we have certain hot takes questions that like do kind of askew some to like... Uh, front endy things, so I, yeah, we might need to may or may not apply, but if they don't, we'll skip it. So. Yes, but obviously, you've you've been in code for quite some time. I feel like you have some of your opinions, some of your own opinions, something like thirty years. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and then, I mean, uh, you're in code sometimes still, anyway, right? Yeah, like, that's the connector. Yeah, that's how I started. I didn't know Dev. No one knows DevRel exists, but they all know like software. Exists. I feel like it's one of those things, like platform engineer. Well, that the, the details of it are very subjective to the company sometimes. I mean, even yeah, DevOps definitely. is kind of like this way, right? Like DevOps, I mean, are you deving or not? And it depends on the company, even though they call it DevOps. Are you just supporting dev or are you doing the dev? Or I don't know. And I feel like yeah. developer relations are is like, are you doing, oh, are you doing docs and talks and intake and support? Or are you, act, you know? It's super different everywhere, but no one goes into tech like, knowing that they want to be in developer advocacy. Yeah. Well, maybe some more often now that it's becoming more popular, but I hadn't heard of the role until I was looking for jobs really. Yeah. And even then it was, it just felt like something out of reach because typically they ask for like, you've had a past life as an engineer and now you're looking for something different is mm. the audience for recruiting for that role. And I actually got very lucky because this is my first adult job out of college. Um, and I had some engineering experience before, but it was internships. So very small, small segments, glimpses into what that was like. Yeah. But I think for any team, right, even just an engineering team, having a diversity of experience is important. Totally, so yeah. you want to kind of balance that. And I can see like in a developer advocacy role, you're a part of a team and not only just the people that were like, I got burnt out here and I'm going to move over here to help connect people. And maybe like, you mm -hmm. know, a change is probably good for some people, but only having that perspective might be a little shallow. For sure. I think advocacy is a, is a little bit of a different skill than development. Yeah. It's a lot about connecting to people. It's a lot about conveying a message, about, a lot about packaging the product and figuring out what's the right way to make it connect with the people that you're talking with. Yes. Whereas development is, at the end, it's about, you know, sprints, getting some things done, you know, getting software shipped, fixes problems. It's something very different. And although it's both of them are the kind of the same field, both of them kind of born on the same aspects of, you know, software engineering, it's a very different role. Yeah. If that also means very different people. You can look at it the same way with the DevOps. A lot of the times, the people that are behind DevOps are very different people than developers. And simply because, it's again, it's a very different responsibility, very different challenge. So people, when they come to that, they look for something very different. They're not looking, you know, developer looks to build stuff, and DevOps, they're looking for the responsibility, you know, to make things function over time and, you know, be stable. So I think one thing that happens to us as an industry and I'm looking at it a lot from you know, 30 years in the industry, is that we're growing. We're understanding that the 
if 30 years ago it was just a developer sitting alone somewhere behind the computer and coding and not talking to anyone, right. today we understand there is, we need that diversity. We need those people, different people, different roles because it just completes everything that we're doing. Yeah, and that scales more. So I know the joke is, does it scale? But I mean, like you said, uh, one person with some Funyuns and a hoodie gown just going heads <laughs> down on something, that doesn't really scale over time, right? And, uh, and so that becomes a big black box and a challenge. So I'm going to start with you then on the first hot take because I feel like this is something you probably have an opinion around. Get rebase or get merge? Rebase or merge. Yes, I find myself using Rebase all the time, mm -hmm. not Merge. And the reason is that it keeps the history. I have all change history. Right. Now, although it might take a little bit more time, because you might have a few Merge occurrences run down the line, at the end of the day, I really like to see the granular changes and see the granular effects. Yeah. And also it helps me when I get to that Merge you know, of some one of those applications of Rebase, I know what the change was. Yeah. So now what was the intent? Yeah. That helps me a lot in doing the merge. When talking about merges, you know, I'm from an, an age before Git. Yeah. You know, I, I use Git, but use CVS. Yeah, I was going to say subversion. And I used and... something before that, and I used something before before that. And then used the FTP files up yeah. too. Well, I actually didn't use FTP, but I used something like called ADA. I don't know if you know about it. No, I don't. That. Yeah. It's a, actually, it's a programming language that was created by the American Army. Hmm. create real-time systems like in the 80s. Oh, wow. Okay. It basically looks like Pascal, but really, really worse. <laughs> <laughs> and that's an objective opinion, right? Of course. Yes, it is. And I've done stuff that looks like pull requests done really bad on ADA. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that then you got to those huge merges. They have no idea what's going on. And just trying to make something compile. But normally that doesn't work afterwards. Okay. So, you know, that's the reason why I don't like mergers. I prefer, you know, rebase. All the time there's the context, what someone was trying to do, and you can just, you know, fix you it. Like so do you don't like a PR then that ends up in a squash merge? Because then... No. No. <laughs> so then you need to make sure that people have the additional skill of squash merging locally or basically like interactive rebases and clean up your stuff and then make sure... It's readable there. Ah. But we need to keep in mind something more. Okay. There's a joke that people are saying about me. About I, you specifically? When I was coding. Okay. Now, I'm not really coding production anymore. I'm actually manager today. Right. They were always saying that you, when I'm coding, they need to have two very strong developers to come and clean up after me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when you know you're meant for management. Yeah. yeah. That's when you're doing lots of damage. Yeah. And that's a fair place to be in. You know, I think like you understand where your value lies later on, but we do like kind of this sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, can, I can appreciate that. So yeah, Emmy, from your... Um, I hope I don't get fired for saying this, <laughs> but I also don't work on the product team, so it's okay. Uh, but I always, well, I don't know which one I like better. I feel like rebasing is more efficient longer term, but I always merge because... That's how I learned. That's just how I learned. And I didn't learn working with lots of people. I learned mostly just by myself. Mm -hmm. And so uh, for a very long time, actually, I didn't run into any problems with like extreme merge conflicts because I was just me. And if anything was wrong, it was just very minor. And squashing was something I learned like very, very later on when other people had to read my code and see what I did. So I don't have a preference for which one I think is better, but there is definitely a clear one that I do more often just out of habit, really. And I'm not as, you know, in practice as an engineer anymore in my role as a DevRel. Like we have a separate platform that we work on and you don't really have to use Git for it, but now you can, but um, I typically work by myself. So whatever works for me, I just tend to use. <laughs> That's fair. And so I, I was going to say, I don't, first of all, none of these questions have a right answer, right? Yeah, they're highly sure. subjective and there's arguments and opinions infinitely yeah. for all of those mm -hmm. things. Whatever you choose, it's wrong. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> there will always be someone. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that, so Chance was saying yesterday, we were talking to him, 
Depends. Yes. Yeah. Kind of the right answer. And I think it's subjective to what is the working environment? Is it just you? What do you prefer? Uh, I think that's part of it. Who's going to have to read for it sure. in the future? Like, and if it's just, it's a thing for me and it's going to ongo for me, it's going to ongo for my small team. And this is how we've agreed to work. That's also the right answer to a degree. Oh, now we're in a larger product team. Now the organization is going to like kind of start to talk about like the way that we need to deal with this so that we have a strategy for understanding and maintaining it. Uh, you know, for perpetuity. So I think all of those are right answers. I think what you're saying is actually something very important. I think the top level of developer, you know, the best, best, best developer are the ones who can go into a project and code in that project using that project guidelines. Exactly. Mm -hmm. you know, yep. Work with the same coding behavior, coding patterns, rebase, merge, be that, you know, TDD or not TDD, whatever is in that project, but let's continue with the same line in that project and not bring their own opinions and try to change it. And that's what it is. Yeah. There's another Twitter thing that's funny, you know, that people like to do all the time. Uh, the blah, 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 blah makes you a senior. You're not a senior unless you've done this. You're not <laughs> uh -huh. a senior unless you've yeah. done this. I think you're not really a senior unless you're able to emotionally detach yourself from your opinions in that way and be able to go into a project and appreciate the work that's been done preceding you and just help that be better and help input into that whole collective. It's as simple as that. And so there's, and that what's always makes that really difficult in a career ladder because there's, there's just not the bullet points. You can't say, well, in three or five years, you've blah, 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 blah. It really just comes over time of understanding a, a bit of maturity about your work, being able to let go of some of that and being able to be productive wherever you're at and help that be better and have some experience to draw from in it, you know? And that's essentially is kind of what makes you senior. And it's not even just like tenure and time sometimes because people do stagnate over 10 years or so into a career and they're not able to sort of bring that to a team as a lead or a senior, then are you senior? Just because you've been here 10 years, not always so, but you know, yeah. So I would say that that's why all of these never have like the perfect answer because like one of our questions is, it's kind of a funny one, it's like Tailwind CSS or Vanilla oh my CSS, gosh. right? And people mm. get very worked up about no, this. No, there's a right answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why Robbie's not senior. So I have lots of opinions. Yeah. 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 Uh. So anyway, so yeah, I mean, and feel free to, if you have an opinion on Tailwind, yay or nay. I just don't like looking at it. I'm sure it works for a lot of people, but I've done a lot of like CSS and SAS. So I'm not annoyed at it anymore. There's certain parts where like, yeah, it could be better, but it's also come a long way. And I'm just, everything that's wrong with it, I've adapted to it. <laughs> so now I'm used to it and people are like, oh, there's just new thing now. And I'm like, no, I hate change. <laughs> but also I just like that separation of like, it's actually easier for me to find things if I have, you know, like separate CSS files and places like if it's a code base I'm familiar with, especially. Uh, but if you're trying to whip something up really quickly, I think Tailwind is great. Or if you're not so much of like a, if styling in your use case isn't the most important thing, then I think Tailwind is also very great. But yeah, just visually, I also just don't like looking at it. So I haven't tried it too much, but I'm happy where I am. <laughs> I feel like old man yelling at cloud where I'm like, I love it. <laughs> I don't want the new tools. Not everyone in early stages of their career is deciding to take things at face value and say, oh, well, this is popular. Everybody's doing it. Totally. I'm going to jump onto it. Yeah. And you shouldn't do that. You should do the parts that you enjoy doing. And yeah. I think that's part of the like feedback. And I just have some initially working with it. I had terrible flashbacks around inline styles and slicing up Photoshop files and putting mm -hmm. them into tables for layout and this kind of thing. And it's like, oh, it's like that. <laughs> but then conversely, I don't really want to write CSS anymore. And this takes out a bunch of that yeah. work for me when I have to be in that space. And so it's like, yeah. okay, I'll, I'll get over that. I want to go back over here and work on this serverless API or whatever instead. Yeah, yeah. So then it's just to me, like, where, where are my concerns? And I would always just default to someone who does have a greater opinion on that and let them lead the way. Yeah. So, yeah, I think team size matters for that too. Because, yeah. like, it's very easy to do super messy, you know, 40 classes for an element in Tailwind. 
that's cool if it's just me, but if someone has to come read that and figure out what the styles are, it's a little hard. Yeah. So, yeah. Whiskey Web and Whatnot is brought to you by EmberConf. EmberConf is back in person this year in Portland for a special celebration of 10 years since the 1.0 release of Ember. It's been a long time. There are lots of great talks, as always, but I'm particularly excited about one Walk the Line convention in country music and development. So that just sounds like a really interesting talk, linking those two things together. And I'm, of course, excited for whatever magic Ed Faulkner drops in his keynote. Always fun stuff there. This year, the workshops are a little different, and they'll be included at no extra cost in a two-hour block during the second day of the conference. There's a lot of cool options there. There's a deep dive into building V2 add-ons, an intro to animations in Ember, and of course, a live recording of this podcast. That's right, Whiskey Web and Whatnot will be live at EmberConf recording an episode in person. So if you're a fan, we would love to see you there. Space is limited for all of the workshops, so register soon to make sure you get space in your preferred one. I'm definitely excited to be back in person this year and hope to see Ember Friends new and old in Portland July 20th to 21st for one of the best conferences in the business. Get your tickets now at emberconf.com. I have to say, you know, Tailwind is an, obstru- an obstruction. And when you do an obstruction, you're doing two things. You're making things simpler mm-hmm. for anything that the obstruction does. And you're making things much harder for anything that falls outside of that abstraction. And CSS, as you said, you know, 10, 20 years ago, CSS was really bad. You would have needed to, you know, slice images. You needed to to have all of those, you know, reset stuff in all kinds of workarounds, you know, different browsers. Today it's much better. And so the question that comes to mind is, how much do you gain versus how much you lose from Tailwind? Right. Now, to be honest... I'm at the point where I don't care. <laughs> yeah, we're in a similar boat for the yeah. most part. The reason why I'm saying that, you know, I'm coming from Wix. We have, we're working on a product like Velo, where we let our designer, you know, we let the designer draw the user interface and, you know, do everything on Wix, you know, just in a drag and drop environment, just some screens. They can have, they have all of the capabilities. And then as a developer, just write the code. Why should I as a developer even write CSS? You know, <laughs> Tell him or not, I don't care. Yeah. Why should I even do that? Speaking Chuck's language right here. He hates CSS. <laughs> I've done my time. That's yeah. all I want to say. <laughs> I have a good friend in that is saying like, yeah, I don't understand why should I use React? Doesn't make any sense. Why is the developer should even write React code? Wait, now you're speaking Robbie's language. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, let, I let my designer draw yeah. the user interface yeah. and I just write the logic and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I I think in general, though, there is like a very big culture of polarity and like strong opinions. Maybe this is just a tech Twitter thing. But <laughs> it possibly is. Yeah. Then, yeah. yeah. People love being like very extreme, taking a side. But then there's also like if you're on the side where you're more or like less experienced and you're thinking like, oh no, if I don't know this thing that everyone is looking for, does that make me less employable or anything like that? And on the other end as well, like I think that's why people don't like abstractions. They don't like Mm. low code, no code tools. Mm. They don't like certain things with AI. We're definitely going to get back there. I've got some (laughs) questions around. Yeah, because it's like, is my job obsolete now? But no, not really. Because I guess if you think about it, everything is some kind of abstraction. Like we're not all coding in assembly anymore. And people used to talk about how like front end isn't like, you're not a real software engineer. You're just doing front end. And now there's like, oh yeah, it's one of the more like popular parts of software engineering. I'm pretty sure that's basically why like, meta frameworks in the front end started to happen because when Mm. everybody was building websites that were jQuery powered in the interactivity side and backend engineers would be like, well, you're not really an engineer. You're not really. And they were like, hold my beer. (laughs) I'm going to bring you MVC to the front end. Yeah. There's just something about it actually, you know, it was saying that, you know, the the real engineers, you know, the the most, the people that are doing the most work are actually the PHP developers. (laughs) But we're actually, they're doing the most, you know, websites. But we know they're not really developers. You know, the real developers are the ones that actually write JavaScript, that are using React and Angular. But let's be honest, they don't really know how to code. The people that really code use Scala and Java. <laughs> those are the real developers, not those people that are just writing scripts for the browser. Yeah. 
Yeah, what's your Twitter handle? Let's uh, get people to weigh in on that. With <laughs> 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 the pitchforks. You have all those people that just write some, you know, some code for those virtual machines. They don't know that that server works. They don't want to deploy stuff. The real developers <laughs> are the Afghanis who are doing the system stuff. Those are the real developers of the world. There is a ladder of between that every part of that ladder thinks that the other part, they're not real developer. Yeah. And they're all wrong. They're all developers. They're all doing yeah. super impressive stuff. They're all doing super impressive challenges. Simply just using different tools. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then we have a different syntax and a different outlet and a different process of that. Emmy, you were mentioning, I just think it's worth touching on exactly like, are we listening to the loudest voices or are we listening to the majority? And I think we probably hear a yeah. lot from the loudest voices. Yeah. Because when you think about simple things like, I don't know, the last time I saw the stat, and I don't know, remember how recently it was, but right on the point that you were making, Yoav, is that, what is it, 64% of the internet is powered by WordPress which is PHP yeah. and which, which everyone's very, like, oh, not which cool. Is, like, yeah, but it, <laughs> it's and, like, and most of the time, yeah. you know, are customized and powered by people that are, you know, not full-time <laughs> developers. A lot of times, you know, they're in a marketing agency and they're focused right on that. Or, you know, they do this extra on the side and they're powering their small business and they figure out a template and they hack around a couple of plugins that let them do their thing. So, you know, is that you know, people who are like arguing about tailwind or TypeScript inferences and whatever else, are they really speaking for the majority of what is actually out there on the internet? Like, yeah. Yeah. probably not. I mean, it's a really like siloed specific experience. Basically, VC money going into SaaS products for the last mm -hmm. 10 years. That's really what we're talking about. But that's not what everyone is doing on the internet all the time necessarily. Yeah. And I think it's this cult kind of culture of gatekeeping so you feel like you're still the most relevant one. Like I think the people who make WordPress sites and like Wix sites, they're all still valid. I think we should democratize making like the knowledge you need to make websites, but that doesn't make it less of a site. And I think the speed at which we're moving with like technology and stuff, there's also that like capitalist motive of like I... We, we're going to be the ones who can have this power of like the digital world and everyone else is like, you're not up to par if your website is like slower or built on a certain thing or looks a certain way. And I think that's not like the greatest way to go, but that's part of what we're trying to solve at Wix. Yeah. Yeah. The same people that shit on all that stuff are like, oh, I also wrote my entire website with chat GPT. So it's like, well, yeah. what does yeah. it, you didn't write any code anyway. So like, <laughs> you don't, yeah, you don't really know where you're coming from. Uh, or people build stuff with open AI and it's not like they were the people who actually did like the AI and ML part. You're just using their library. Right. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know. That's, yeah. that's not valid. If I can use a tool and I can create stuff, that, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's lowered the barrier to entry. Yeah. Right. right? And so I think that is a great dovetail into like Wix, because I would say yeah. as a longtime engineer, I look at products like that in the way that I would look at WordPress traditionally as in like, okay, this is Squarespace, Wix, whatever. Somebody needs to go do a brochure site real quick. And that's fine that they capture that market. It doesn't really apply to me. I don't really know like what I would do for you. I don't make custom templates or any of those things. So that space is over here and we're doing web apps. So we're doing something else. But I know that Wix is actually like really trying to dive more into that space and maybe like solve the paradigm difference between folks who want to do uh, content in a more WYSIWYG sort of way. But headless, I, I actually did, I think uh, this morning I read that you're doing a, like a headless option and things like that to like say, you can sort of have that over here and sort of have that power potentially like more powerful applications outside of that context. So what, basically what we're doing, we're, we're doing two things at the same time. One, we have our Velo platform, which is a full stack platform, you know, Node.js. You get data, the database, you can connect your own database if you want. And you just draw the UI using Wix. So you got a full platform. It's all fully configured. You get an online ID. Mm -hmm. so, so, you know, five minutes from starting, you can deploy a production-ready application. Nice. Then we're breaking Wix. You know, with Headless, you can get any of our business applications, be that stores, booking, restaurants, sitting plans, pricing plans, you know, a global global coverage of payments, you know, 
it's very easy to get payments in the US and you know, Europe. You know, just, just use Stripe. Try to get payments in Brazil. Mm. That's a challenge. Yeah. yeah. And we have that covered for you. So you can get all of that using you know, just uh, regular REST APIs. And then we have Codex, which is trying to get the same Wix experience of letting you draw the user interface yeah. for React application. Okay. Take your own React project, whatever that may, you might be using, SAS mod, you know, CSS modules, you might be using SAS, you might be using something different. Take your own components, whatever they may be. Open that project in Codex, and you get a visual environment for that project. And then you can go and visually change the CSS add components, change the DOM, and it will update your JSX, your CSS source files. Okay. So that means that it works your way. There is no hidden JSON files. There is no Dreamweaver, for instance. You remember, we all probably have tried <laughs> yeah. Dreamweaver that creates that HTML that you don't want to look at. You're right, right. <laughs> yep. That doesn't exist with Codex. It works your way. So again, we're trying. That's, you know, we're, we're embarking on that challenge to try to make developers' lives to be much easier and to break Wix and open it and let anyone basically use whichever part need from Wix. So you talk about the payment aspect of that as one of the advantages, and that makes a lot of sense to me. I think the other massive problem that a lot of like early applications deal with is the authentication and the access story. So authentication is kind of like straightforward. Are you who you said you are, but like role-based access kind of stuff. Do you have that kind of complexity? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. So the, yeah, you can have a full on application where it's like, I'm an admin or not an admin. And I, I yeah, have a yeah, whole different course. experience and I can see that solving a lot. Yeah. And that kind of thing would be really, really expensive for a lot of tools. Like they primarily cater to enterprise level use cases or they're too technical for someone who's just like trying to get their business or nonprofit up and running. And that's right. the problem that we're trying to solve. Yes. And so I think, yeah, good. Like the bridging the gap there on kind of like users that might have to fall into like a WordPress situation and then have a very complex set of things if they're trying the low code or no code things. Yeah, I think that that uh, I think that part of the issue for engineers is that they hear no code or low code and they're like, well, then you're trying to take something from me. And I don't, I don't <laughs> like that. I don't appreciate that. By the way, they're right. Right, right. You know, because when you hear, normally you hear about uh, low code, it's basically a tool that tries to make things without writing any code. Sure. But then because there's stuff that isn't covered in the product, you have some way to add some code there. But it's always some kind of an afterthought. So that code is in some obscure dialogue, it is not managed by Git. Right. And someone can write that, and then there is a problem or some change, and you're like, okay, my application stopped working, why? So the right not to like low-code. Now, Wix Velo is, to some degree, you can call it low-code, but we allow to connect it to Git. Right there. And when you give your backend, it's Node.js. It's just a regular Node.js. So if you know Node.js, you can work on the platform. So it's not really a low code in that sense. Yeah. We're actually calling it a code first because what would, uh, the rule that we've set is to try and solve problems by writing code and then trying to create screens on top that will just write that code for you, that will help you write that code. But the first tool to solve a problem, you know, for instance, if let's say we have, we have a feature like a scheduler, it's very tempting to create a dialogue that says, run this function every day at 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. But a code-first approach would be to write code that says, write this function every day at 5 a.m. Yeah. And then just create a screen that would change that code. So we try in there. I think that most of the low-code tools falls into that problem of gaining trust from developers. Yeah. Simply because they're not geared toward developers. Yes. And this is a challenge to trying to bridge. It's a, not an easy challenge. Yeah. And it sounds like the community that you're trying to invite into this too, and you're not saying come into our highly specialized environment. So if you're using things like, oh, it's a node server, I know how to deal with that, mm-hmm. I can work in there. I'm not working in special Wix language. I'm working in languages I know in that context. And so it's a little easier to add, add and advocate for specialists in this zone, right? Yes. And I think this goes back to like who is an engineer 
or who is a developer, we actually have, so our platform, it's basically like you click a button, turn on dev mode, and it's the regular Wix editor and a little ID comes up and you can add JavaScript to any of the elements that you drag and drop on. And a lot of people really just go and implement like a simple, simple use case, like on click, show this or and hide this. And I think people tend to go like, look at people who are using that and go like, you're not writing real code. And I'm like, but it's still JavaScript. So right. Like what is real? Define real for me first. And then we'll kind of come back. Right, Right. Right. And we have a lot of designers and people who are learning development who otherwise would have been too intimidated to start like looking at coding tutorials and taking coding classes. But since they have this environment where it's so easy and they can like see their changes happen, it runs on Node, but you don't have to install like Node and Mm. figure out what version you're on and figure out like what libraries you need. It's really accessible for them. And for me, like I studied cognitive science and psychology in school. So like I really like being able to visualize stuff. Learning computer science concepts is really hard for me. When I first started Git, I didn't really understand what was going on until I tried GitHub desktop Mm. and they had the visuals for like, oh, like merging is like going this way. And if you do this, it goes to this branch. And having those like visuals helped me understand concepts a lot better. And I think that makes it a lot more accessible for more people to learn how to code because honestly, I don't think it's like as hard as everyone makes it out to be. People are always like, oh, you're a developer. You must be so smart, but <laughs> you really just need the patience. Let to us have that. Understand. Let us have that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. For a second. <laughs> but I'm not a real developer according to Yoav. So. Oh, you <laughs> are a real developer. Come on. <laughs> you are a real developer. Thank you. Thank you. You got it. It's, 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 it is recorded. Okay. Okay. I don't have, I'll have to go rechange my- His punchline was, they're all right. They're all developers. It's true. It's true. Yes. And I think that's even, it's so funny because what context really does, because you talk about like in the sense of this small box and you write your functions there, but like, how is that different than uh, AWS Lambda? That's a, a very container, you know, compartmentalized singular function with a singular- purpose. And yes, you can like add modules to it and whatever else, but essentially is just that you're just writing one function and parsing through that. I mean, it's no different really. The fact that you add AWS to that now makes me sound like I'm smarter, but because we know (laughs) the dashboard is bad. So yeah. 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 The most amazing thing for us on, uh, on Wix is we're seeing the people that are learning to program on Wix on our product. Yeah. And they're starting by just some small interactions. And then they have some another need and they're going to backend, do some stuff. And then, you know, might be stuff like integrating with some fulfillment system. So they're writing some REST APIs and some stuff like that. Hmm. And before long, you end up with a real developer. I Actually, I don't I want to go back. I don't want to say a real developer because I don't want to give that, you know, I think that anyone who tries code is a developer. Right. And I think you're getting people to become more and more proficient in more and more confident in their ability to do stuff. And that's the, the most amazing thing for me, to see that happening on, you know, on product we've created. Getting to deliver real product and have like your learning journey be a part of that, right? Yeah. Like getting real wins and not just going through tutorials with a randomized to-do mm-hmm. list output and that kind of <laughs> stuff. Like I've actually pushed something that people actually use. That's a real motivator too, I yeah. think, like in that. Because as we're seeing now, recently, it's a little harder to break into our industry and uh, having these other outlets where you can apply your knowledge and skills in a way that still ends up in being like a real website, a real web app. I think that's a great bridge. So I'm going to say something that's going to be, probably a lot of people are going to complain about about that. (laughs) You said a lot of those (laughs) so far. I I think the difference between what we call a professional developer and just a developer 
is that a professional developer would spend two days to configure something <laughs> like, you know, local environment with, with you know, right. an emulator for Lambda and uh, some kind of local database and all kinds of different configurations and Docker files and deployment. Yes, I know because I, have a, I know how to make a Docker Compose file. I earned that. Yeah, it's amazing. It. <laughs> you, you know to be, you know to be loved that environment. But at the end of the day, that regular developer and that super proficient developer will still write the same 10 lines of code that has the logic. And the only difference is that this one spent two days to configure stuff. And this one just used a SaaS product that does it for them. You know, like Lambda, for instance. Why would they create a container and build a container if I can just use Lambda? Well, you'll have uh, pros and cons arguments against that, like ad infinitum, right? Like, well, cost isn't the only thing. What do you care about warming? Oh, now you got to run a cron job to like fix your warming issues and, you know, blah, 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 blah. So, but if you get to those situation, those are the questions you really care about, then yeah. one, you have a working product. Two, it's, it's starting to scale that you really care about price. Yeah. So it's a very different point at that point, at that time. Most people would start doing that up front before having any product, which doesn't make any sense. Right. No, that's true. When you have a greenfield thing and you're, you know, early stage and you need a POC to validate some assumptions. And I know that's oftentimes the argument for no code, low code is like, we're just trying to get the POC and we understand it might be throwaway and we're fine with that. So that isn't, that's an interesting bridge right there. Let's say if someone is working on an application that they intend to scale pretty largely they approach the Wix platform with it and say, like, this is the way that I'm going to solve, like, some early things like RBAC and, and payments and stuff like that. And I want to really, like, test some assumptions and put out a POC product, like, real pre-seed round. Okay? And it does well. It starts to do well thinking about scaling. Think about, like, I might need to rewrite or redo. What is that story for you guys? Okay. So we've seen quite a few startups coming to us at some point. And saying, hey, we have a problem. And we're like, okay, what's, what's the problem? We're scared. <laughs> Why? Because it's working. <laughs> but why are you scared? Because it's working. Because we don't know when it's going to break. Why should it break? <laughs> because we're not sure. It, it's great for, your product is great for a prototype. But, you know, we started, it works so well that we've actually launched our product with it. And it scales up and you don't know when it's going to break. Why should it break? <laughs> Today, we can, we can give anyone that's been using our product. They can use any database they want. They can get as many containers as they want. You know, our regular package is, you know, the default one is one container. Mm -hmm. And you can get up to five. But we can all very easily configure that to as many as you need. And, you know, get to a point where there's a problem. And come on, if you have a business and it gets to do a problem, you're in a great situation. That's an amazing place to be. Yeah, totally. Now I'm going to ask the next most controversial question. I'm actually going to ask Emmy too. So, you know, I'm a developer. We've been in your platform for a little bit. We are concerned about scale or whatever else. Or we're just like, I don't know, maybe there's a pivot. Is there an eject button? Or maybe I want to start something new with you, but I'm afraid of getting trapped. Oh. Could you clarify your question one more time? Yeah, let's just say that... Like vendor lock-in is what he's worried vendor about. Vendor lock-in is what I'm oh, worried about. I see. Okay, I see. and I want to come in. I, I see the benefits of, of building early on. I see a lot of problems solved for me. Okay, we've got a team, small team, we're a startup, whatever else. And we want to be able to say, though, if I'm afraid of vendor lock-in before we start this to go down that path. Well, I think that's the case for anything that you use is like there's always that risk that you'll need something else and you can't blame yourself for not choosing the right thing to go with in the very very beginning the nice thing about wix is like pretty much all of our features are available to try out for free so you can like the coding platform entirely free and you just have to like pay if you start you know, like taking business from that. But if you have your content and like a database, you can migrate that obviously. Yeah. Now the elements themselves, like they're obviously coded on our platform. Um, you can still migrate. Like if you wrote backend code for it and you have functions that you use for your Wix site in your Wix backend, then you can still reuse the logic for that. You might have to change around, you know, like the variable names because you can't reference like Wix elements anymore. But I think for any platform, if you migrate or 
do anything at all, there's kind of that overhead. But the biggest thing that you'll probably have to redo is like styling, which honestly, in the grand scheme of things, isn't that huge of a deal. And you might have to invest in other like external services, which is also like the trade-off of cost and performance and scale. And maybe you're not like when you started your business, you're not ever anticipating like it'll be the biggest platform in America or something, but maybe it ends up there. But I think that's always a problem people are going to have and you can't ever like be sure what is going to happen. Yeah. But there are options. It's not like super difficult to migrate out of it. I think that's right there what you said initially on too. And you're just like reinforcing that. Essentially, like there's no starting point that you're ever going to have a fully free application from the infrastructure that you decide to build into. Yeah. And that's, there's no, there's no like, there's no Wix version of changing platforms, right? There's no Wix version of changing infrastructure. So there's always some risk to that, but you know, you, you just need to decide what are the pros and cons for you. And I think like a lot of the problems solved, like authentication is a stupid thing to ever try to build yourself yes. <laughs> in a startup situation. And I'll say that on, I think that's not, you're not wrong. Yeah. That's not what you're trying to address with your product. So can you just pick something and move forward? Yeah. With it? And, yeah. and maybe the money and time you saved from not having to deal with that and hire someone to deal with that. Maybe that afforded you another opportunity to like develop your business better and yeah. other time to do other stuff. Exactly. Yeah. You're, it changed like you, where you spend your money, where your yeah, runway totally. is. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think also people, when talk about vendor lock, people don't really understand what vendor lock is. Vendor lock is when you have 100,000 lines of code in PLSQL mm-hmm. for Oracle or 1 million lines of code that work in a mainframe right. that will take you years to rewrite. Yeah. Any product that you, can, that you can get a result done in two weeks, you can replace in two weeks. Yeah. You know, maybe a month, but you can replace quite, quite early. That isn't a vendor lock. Yeah. That's true. That's a great point. Yeah. All right. I want to take it down a notch a little bit. Yeah. Because I'm hearing the music uh, next door and probably our (laughs) listeners can't, but you know, we're here at a conference and this is the nature of it. Well, they may be able to hear some. Sorry if you can. But, (laughs) and I think this is a good kind of, I want to remember, because I'll forget and these things happen. So two doors down from us is the community gaming room. And I read here that Emmy was a esports coach. Oh no. <laughs> I was avoiding having to write that for my fun fact, but I guess you saw from LinkedIn or something. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and if you don't want to talk about it, that's yeah, totally yeah, fine. So but I, I think I'll it's an interesting it. fact based on that. And I'm, you know, I'm learning more about esports all the time. I think it's like yeah. a, I mean the fact that you can get a full scholarship in esports, I think it's amazing. I think it's a positive yes. thing. So I'm like totally down for that. Gaming as a kid and you know, like Mom's like, you got an hour, it's rotting your brain. And then like yeah. scientifically it's proven not to rot your brain. In fact, there are a lot yeah. of positive benefits. So what what were the specific esports that you were focused on? <laughs> uh, mostly first person shooters and PC games. Okay. Um, and obviously like that's how I got into being really good with computers. Uh, like that was always my thing. I built my first PC when I was like 14 or something, which was awesome. not common for a kid to do, but also not common for a, like a little girl to do. But that was kind of my entryway. Computer was just like all I knew, but you can kind of see that with like the Roblox millionaire kid geniuses now. But I started like scripting for games that I was playing, I was really heavy into like the Valve ecosystem. And Mm. that was really nice because they would give you all their access to all their stuff. And then you got to play around with it. And that kind of was my first, you know, like door into how it felt to like go change some software and have stuff do the things you want. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an excellent entryway. Yeah. I feel like a lot, there's a, a lot of people that got into it through things, things like that, or like editing MySpace pages, right? Yeah, like, so totally. sort of like, oh, we all can sort of like, for me, there were uh, GeoCities sites. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Like stuff like that. And then I learned HTML there and then, oh, MySpace lets me do a bunch with uh, CSS and just seeing the power of 
instant change. Which yeah. is why I have a problem with when people say like HTML, CSS isn't like real programming or um, like it's it's a scripting language and stuff, but yeah. it, it's it's still the same feeling that you get when you make websites. And that opens a lot of doors for you. Like those are things that you still have to understand as a, any programmer. I think so. Um, yeah. And yeah. yeah, I think everyone should be able to play around with that and feel that. It's yeah. like, it's like how all kids have to like experience art classes or like music lessons, even if they don't want to. I'm still trying to run into an esports person that plays FIFA because that's <laughs> mostly the game that I play. I don't know that there's a lot of uh, market and people watching that or. <laughs> yeah, not in the States. Yeah. There's esports teams, but I feel like they're overseas a lot. Oh, yeah. So. You know, now that I think about it, I think I would define programming as something that creates, that creates something. Right. Yeah. And with that definition, HTML and CSS definitely fall into that, yeah. into I mean, that category. Yeah, it's like an art and what's your medium. You're telling the yeah. browser how to structure a document. Yeah. And if you're giving instructions to a computer, that to me is like the basic definition of programming. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Like if you programmed a thing that created a PDF, would that be programming? Because that's the same as like using HTML. Well, not like, really. <laughs> <laughs> I think the point is that having that interactive experience when you change something and you get the computer to come to do something mm -hmm. with you and... It doesn't really matter what's the language you're using, but the more you're doing that, you're starting to learn how to control the computer. And right. Yes. What we're doing as, as developers is controlling that environment. Controlling there you that go. Machine. Yeah. 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 We're controlling something that the computer is outputting. And I think like we give it input, takes an output. That's kind of programming. Yeah. Plus, it's really fun to just say HTML is a programming language on Twitter and everyone goes, oh my God, <laughs> you're so wrong. <laughs> we should make those t-shirts and just fuck with we people. Should. We anyway, should. Yeah. yeah, I don't care at all. I would yeah. be remiss if we did not ask you of this question, which is you walked from Israel to the US? Yeah, I didn't understand yes. that. Yeah. Okay. So you're Jesus. Well, no. <laughs> so what happened? Walking on water. What happened from was Israel. that I... I'm a carpenter. My, my father was working for an Israeli airliner. Okay. So when uh, we had a deal that we can go for standby for flights. Uh, yes, so basically yes. you go to the runway and you're like... I worked for an airline at one point, so I, uh, I so you're going, in you're going on the US. You're standing on the, on the, you know, the tamarack and you're like, hey, can I get a ride? So they told the captain that uh, there are two children of two employees that they can take. You know, it was full flight. And it was like, oh, okay, we have a small seat in the cockpit so they can be there. Oh. So I was 26. The other, the other child was 23. <laughs> and we ended up flying without, without a seat. Right. So we basically walked. Not even the jump seat. We like, walked for moly. 12 hours all the time. We were back oh and forth in the, in the airline. Yeah. So it was basically walking to the U.S. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a good story. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure where that was going to go, but that... That makes yeah. more sense. <laughs> yeah. I tried like, to give you as little context as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That helps us dive into. As a whiskey aficionado, apparently you make your own wine. Yes. Yeah. There is a small winery in Israel where it's actually a school mm -hmm. of wineries. And you start by picking the grapes and doing all the process still bottling. This is really, really cool stuff. What kind of grapes do you use? So I've done Cabernet Sauvignon and Chardonnay and Grenache. Ooh. And now we're doing Syrah. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see what we're going to do next year. Nice. Syrah Super cool. Yeah. Rotating through yeah. a few different things. Yeah, that'd be a neat thing. Yeah, we would make our own whiskey, but it's a felony, so we don't. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why? What is the felony? Unless you get registered and really approved. Hard. and It's yeah. really hard to become a distiller because apparently it's very no dangerous. Wow. Like you can kill people easily. And you can blow yourself up as well. And yeah. you can blow yourself up. Yeah, I know. Wow. But we're going to take it up in the heels, take our shoes off, <laughs> yeah. and then we'll start distilling <laughs> a little more. <laughs> and then we'll see what just happens. I don't know. Yeah, well, we are about at time here. Is there anything else you guys want to plug or anything we mentioned before we end? So I think what our biggest challenge is to get Amy to drink more. <laughs> I will finish my drop of drink. <laughs> the thing to, to you have to keep in mind for about Wix. It's early for her. Give her a break. Wix is a company driven by alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you hiring? Because 
I just, I quit podcasts <laughs> yeah. and whatever else because I found my home. Yeah. yeah. It's working for an Israeli company has been so chill <laughs> and I don't know how I'm going to go back to working for corporate America again. Yeah. They're not going to fire you. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I've said it now on a thank podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's on record. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, if I plug anything, it's our Discord community and Twitter, um, Devs on Wix for both. Twitter handle is Devs on Wix. And we do a lot of stuff with like community events. Uh, if you're local to certain cities, like a lot of uh, events in New York. Phoenix. Maybe, maybe if you're willing to <laughs> yeah. have us, maybe sure. find yeah. a way. Yeah. Chuck has a house. Yeah, but we... <laughs> I also have a co-working space where I can do a public thing. That's yeah, true. Okay. That's true. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Maybe if we're ever in Phoenix, we'll let you know. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds good. But yeah, we do a lot of work uh, telling people about what we have to offer, helping people, general web dev stuff. And they're just an incredible community and I love them and... I have nothing bad to say about them, but <laughs> I would love if people could follow them more and give them the recognition they deserve. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Love it. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe. Leave us some ratings and reviews. We appreciate it. And we will catch you next time. Boom, 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 boom. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Web and Whatnot. This podcast is brought to you by ShipShape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review, as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about ShipShape and this show, check out our website at shipshape.io. 